1: Welcome to the table. We discuss issues of God and culture. Our topic for today is spiritual warfare. And I've got two, I, I what, veterans of, of foreign wars maybe? I don't know, uh, who uh, to talk with us about this topic, which is um, often raised, um, less discussed, and certainly um, uh challenging for certain parts of the world where the issue of spiritual warfare is either defined in one particular way or uh, may even be overdefined in terms of how it's seen so we'll so we're going to try and get our hands around the topic uh, our guests are uh, Michael Pocock who is is former chair of an Ion Intercultural Ministries department. You know they've changed the name of this department so many times now. I don't remember what it was called when you were chair, but you you chaired and are now retired um, uh, of the missions department is what what it was when I was a student. Uh, so what do they call what do they call it now, or what do they call it when you were running it?
2: Well, it has been uh, World Missions and Intercultural Studies.
1: Okay.
2: the Okay. And, uh, and now it's MIM, uh, but it only just changed to that, and that's the first time in about 25 years that we actually have changed.
1: Okay, so well, uh, I've, I've been around for three changes, so uh, I think it was just World Missions when I was a student, so... Yeah, uh, that's uh, pretty yeah. straightforward. Yeah, very good. Uh, and then Scott Harrell... Who uh, teaches in our systematic theology department, uh, uh, Scott? How many years have you been at the seminary now?
3: Well, I'm wrapping up, uh, 24 here, Daryl. Wow, so almost I'm, a quarter uh, I'm century. I'm senior citizens too.
1: Yeah, yeah. I hit I hit 40 next year, so. Uh, wow. Yeah, I mean, uh, my, my kids just shake their heads. Anyway, um, so uh, I try not to say that too much in public because some people say that was before I was born, and that's just embarrassing. So uh, any, anyway, um, so let, let's dive in. Mike, let, let, I'll start with you. Um, uh, the question we always ask at the beginning of the table is, uh, how did a nice guy like you get into a gig like this? What in the world... Uh, um uh, inspired your interest in thinking about spiritual warfare.
2: Okay. well, uh, like uh, like Scott, uh, you know, he and I worked in neighboring countries uh, for many years, uh, Scott in Brazil, and my wife and I in Venezuela. And so uh, uh, after working in Venezuela, a uh, relatively brief time, only about uh, four years actually living there, and then another 16 years, uh, working with the Evangelical Alliance mission. And at that point, uh, it uh, became an issue of ministering in a lot of different countries uh, where the organization worked. Uh, so uh, I became much more aware of what we were, what people were facing, what, what both missionaries and what uh, lay people were facing in a lot of different contexts besides Venezuela. But I'd say that... Um, you know, I think a lot of people figure, OK, so if you're from one of you is from Brazil and the other from Venezuela, I expect there to be spiritual warfare issues there, but probably not so much if you're in America or in the West. Uh, but I'll tell you, most of the, the most serious issues I've faced have been right here in North America mm-hmm. and right here in Dallas for that matter, too. So um, uh, what one should remember is that you know, spiritual warfare is not something that you only need to be concerned about if you're going to some other uh country you know in the majority or developing world uh, so uh what happened to me was that um that changed me or that brought me into this i uh, was being asked by uh, a local pastor in wheaton illinois who had been a fellow student when i went to trinity divinity school and he said he called up and said mike what do you know about uh, demons and satanic oppression and things I said, I don't know. Uh, I, all I know is what I read in Marilunger's uh Biblical Demonology. Well, he says I got a guy here that came to know Christ about uh, a few weeks ago. And although he has become a believer, he is manifesting some very strange behavior that looks like uh, it's demonic to us. And I wonder if you could help us. All right. Now I'm exactly in the position where most people are, by the way, most people who are missionaries. Or have been mission- They're in this thing. They actually don't know what to do. You know that's serious. You know people people are writing to the seminary here. That's why we have a spiritual warfare course. Is they were writing and saying, "How come you didn't get me ready for what's really happening out here?" Wow. And uh, so uh, I remember Dr. Campbell called me up and said he was getting those letters. I had too. and so he said, "Would you would you teach a course on spiritual warfare?" I said, I, "I'll give it a go." Yeah. But um, anyway, that case back in, in Wheaton, Illinois, uh, the way that turned out was um, that uh, I said, look, uh, I don't really know exactly what to do, um, but uh, we've got a gentleman coming in from Trinidad, another one of our missionaries, North American, and God's given him a, a, a considerable ministry of evangelism and um, a, a deliverance, a deliverance ministry. Uh, because demonic uh, possession and oppression was very common in Trinidad, so uh, anyway, he he arrived in town, and within one week, we got a call saying, "Did that man come? Because we need you guys." Mm. So okay, so it was in the middle of the night. We went, mm. and that was my first uh, uh, time outside of Venezuela of uh, of meeting a person who manifested all the symptoms that you could think of of being um, demon possessed.
1: Okay, we'll come back. We'll come back to the, to that. Scott, same question. What is a nice guy like you doing in a gig like this?
3: I think we're always uh, aware of spiritual warfare. As you you grew up in the church, you know something's going on. That that's a rather exotic phrase in itself. Spiritual warfare sounds like specialized ministry. But I too was at. uh, I was in Switzerland after college at La Brie. Uh, One of my roommates. Uh, from Wheaton, no less, had married a witch and was being attacked at that point. He would talk about hands around his throat and so forth. At the same time, Oz Guinness was writing a book called The Dust of Death, uh, at least two chapters on on the occult and so forth. And he would talk about things falling off his shelves and things of that nature. But uh, yeah, that certainly alerts you to it all. I suppose then later on, going down to Brazil as uh, we were in church planting, first of all, in the far south, really the more European south, there there were in front of our house uh, once in a while what would be called obras, that is uh, a dish with candles and a sacrificed chicken or other, other offerings right in front of our house, which is a sign that they're throwing a curse on you. And of course, uh, at that point, I had little girls who were afraid of the dark. And so you become more acutely aware of uh, direct attacks on you as a Christian worker. When we moved to Sao Paulo, I began teaching at a couple schools, and one of the first things that struck me was a student who had grown up in a Spiritist home. They were grooming him to be a Spiritist leader. When he asked one of the one of the one of his leader, Father of Saints, as they call him, uh, the the Father of Saints said, in all his teaching, "Stay away from evangelicals. You don't have any power over them." Hmm. And it's like what? Well, why is that? And so here's one of my students, and delighted to uh, to evangelize spiritists. There were times we we began to teach larger groups. Not necessarily that person. Five hundred would go down to Santos and uh, what's called the, the big beach, Praia Grande, in Brazil, where a million spiritists and more would convene on New Year's Eve, and their their seances all along all along the beach. They would take. About about five hundred evangelical, largely youth, would go down, and evangelize in the middle of all that. And some of the stories were just fairly astonishing. Hmm. So that's a kind of a start, uh, Daryl, as we as we put our feet into this subject.
1: Okay, so let me let me let me kind of divide this into two parts because I think when most people hear spiritual warfare, they'll think about two very different things. Um, one is what I'll call incognito warfare, and the reason I say that is in the West where you have many people who even wonder if there is a spiritual world at all, et cetera, just the challenge of thinking about the fact that there is a transcendent world is a part of the warfare, Put it, if you want to put it in quotes, that exists as people think about the reality around them and how they perceive it. Mm -hmm. So that that might be one dimension of of a spiritual battle that we're engaged in, and when the uh, argument comes up, you know, spiritual warfare is prevalent everywhere, that certainly is a part of that prevalence. Uh, the fact that that a reality exists that many people are, uh, either don't believe exists or are very very slow to acknowledge mm-hmm. then the second way of thinking about spiritual warfare is kind of what you both have been describing what I would call the more overt direct encounter with demons um, spiritual challenges spiritism those kinds of things um, and and I guess what I'm asking in in, in making this distinction is is that a fair way to think about spiritual warfare? To think about it in primarily those two realms and with those two uh, kind of angles on it? And Michael, I'll start with you. Is is that a is that a helpful way, or does one confuse the other?
2: Uh, no, I, I think that's a helpful way, and I think that it follows from the thinking, say of uh, um, you know C.S. Lewis uh, uh, when he says uh, you know that in uh, in some cultures. Uh, uh, where there's uh, an open belief in the spirit world, uh, Satan appears in one way, but in the intellectually uh, advanced, if you want to call it that uh, um, uh, context, uh, he shows himself in a different way, uh, you know much more of an um, you know like a, a wizard of intelligence, uh, so to speak so um, uh, yeah I, I I mean, obviously, if Satan is able to persuade us that he actually doesn't exist or that uh, demons like uh, don't, now he can work, as you say, incognito. Uh, people have problems, they have difficulties, they have challenges, but they don't even think about, could this be from Satan or could this be demonic? So, uh, uh, yeah, I, I do think that uh, those that those two big uh, 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 you know, factors are are at work all the time. The other thing is that, um, you know, thinking of spiritual warfare as only dealing, as you say, let's say with hyper-dramatic issues of possession. Uh, and I know I'm sure Scott thinks this as well, that actually uh, satanic effect or spiritual warfare really involves everything that has to do with my struggle with my flesh, me. You know, I'm my own worst enemy. So before we talk about Satan and demons, we gotta talk about me, you know. And usually we do talk about that in a seminary. We talk about how the flesh is a difficulty for us. Okay, the other thing is the world system that that, uh, that Paul, I think, is really talking about, you know, with principalities and powers and a number of those kind of bureaucratic words that he uses. Um, and so, uh, you know, you know that's a that's another a level, but. Uh, uh, You know, the Apostle Paul says at one point, uh, he tells the Thessalonians, I tried to come and see you time and again, and Satan stopped me. And you think, really? I saw apostles, you know, stops you? So Paul doesn't, A, Paul is not sinning and therefore affected by Satan. Uh, He's intent on doing God's will. Um, He... um, he hasn't given Satan an opportunity in his life that we know about or that he knows about. Um, he's just being opposed, so he's not possessed. He's he's simply being opposed, and so you can sort of graduate on a on a uh, uh, you know on a scale uh, the kinds of uh, influence or difficulties
1: uh, that are possible in spiritual warfare. Hmm. Scott, anything you want to add to that? Those two categories. There I do. I, I
3: think the two the two extremes are really merging today. I mean, you know, Daryl, you and I were around, and Mike too, in the in the rocker days. You yeah. Had Mick Jagger and Sa- his Satanic Majesty's request and Baker's Ooh. Banquet and all this. I, I hung out with a a, a no name rock group in uh, Europe, and they said they couldn't get into anything because they weren't into Satanism.
2: Yeah.
3: And of course, uh, it goes in cycles. So mm-hmm. now we have. What Billie Eilish and All Good Girls Go to Hell and uh, and other other musicals like that. You know, is this just is are they just playing with us, or is it really feeding an obsession that kind of go ebbs and flows? My students going to Europe from Brazil would say they'd be surrounded sometimes by university students saying, Tell us about Umbanda, tell us about Macumba, Candomblé. Mm-hmm. They wanted something more than atheism, which gave no power, no meaning. They wanted to tap into power. So I, I kind of think. Uh, given our movies and all the rest, we have everything. But I, I, I think a, a broader realm of merging those two is, uh, is certainly on the horizon, if not already with us.
1: So, so if I'm hearing you correctly, it's better to think of this rather than two distinct categories as almost a spectrum of involvement, to moving from one end of the spectrum to the other, from a non-recognition of something to exist. To a recognition and even a playing with um, uh, some of this and then of
0: course the impact and the effects that are on the other end of it This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson publisher of Grieve Breathe Receive Finding a Faith Strong Enough to Hold Us Written and narrated by Pastor Steve Carter Grieve Breathe Receive those three words became a profound mantra for Steve Carter during a season of deep healing, the kind that comes after painful trauma. Grieve, Breathe, Receive is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Visit thomasnelson.com audio to learn more.
1: Okay. This is a this is a good way in. So so let's, Mike. I'm going to go back to your example of uh, of the more overt forms of uh, of spiritual warfare, where you're encountering someone who you suspect may really be. Um, Possessed, or or some variation of that. Uh, talk about that a little bit. You you said you know this person called you and said we're suspicious that something's going on. Uh, what creates the suspicion? Just a second. Uh,
2: they um, okay. Uh, in this case, this individual uh, was a um, was renting uh, a room in a home in Wheaton. Uh, which quite a few residents open their homes to students and others, you know, on a room basis. Uh, but he's not a student, you know. Uh, so uh, uh, this uh, p- uh, pastor had led this led this man to Christ, and he made a confession of Christ, so which he felt was genuine. Uh, but uh, sometimes he would sort of break out, and uh, you know, with a, a different voice or a different tone, uh, become quite abusive verbally and especially in regard to God and spiritual things. So it was like, golly, what's going on here? And, um, uh, so, uh, eventually though, this young man had, um, confessed that, you know, he had been a part of a, uh, um, uh, a satanic cult in Chicago. Hmm. Later on, we did establish that very clearly in dealing with it. But, um, so, uh, he would become loud and uncontrollable. Uh, Now, I think, you know, if you were a a psychologist listening to this conversation right now, you'd say, are you kidding? You know, this guy is uh, someplace between a paranoid schizophrenic and, uh, or he is um, multiple personality disorder uh, uh, or, you know, uh, otherwise known as um, dissociative identity disorder. Uh, And, you know, coming to the point where you can distinguish between those things is is a question. All right. So now uh, we do go down to to meet with this young man and with the owner of the house. And we meet him in the basement. And uh, my friend who's from Trinidad, he on the way over there in the middle of the night, he just rehearsed with me. He said, here's what's probably going to happen. And boy, what he said was going to happen was what happened. Mm. And I was amazed at his ability without saying i know somewhere in the bible that says this or that this guy knew what the bible said about the issues that he raised and the first things that he said were who who are you guys you know he says to the owner of that i trusted you you even brought the whole u.s army in here and uh so he's getting abusive towards us and then he said you know you come in here you know you come in with the bible you think it's got power and you think you're talking about the word of god uh, Jesus, he. I'll show you a word that's got power, and he just tears his shirt open and got Lucifer tattooed right across the chest, hmm. he rolls up his sleeve, got a pentagram on one, ram's head on the other, and uh, uh, so he's very oppositional, you know, to anything, and uh. Uh, you know, my friend, I'm, I'm learning something that night, okay? I'm not doing. I'm learning and I'm praying. <laughs> and uh, uh, a big part of of my concern, which I think would be for anyone encountering stuff like that, is, now, wait a minute, i got to get my theology in order, or how does this fit what I understand? I thought you said that he was a believer. My basic understanding is believers can't be possessed. So here we've got a person who made a genuine confession, It seemed that he did, and yet he, he is manifesting um, um, possession behavior. And, uh, but, you know, you're there, you know, you're not there to have a, a theological discussion with him. Now you're talking not to, not in this case, his name was David. You're not talking to David anymore. You're talking to somebody else. And so, uh, you know, he's saying, we're saying, uh, David, um, you don't, um, uh, you, you believed in Christ, uh, this other person doesn't have anything to do with you. They're they're not able to take you back, and you know the answer comes back. No, that, I didn't make a decision. You know, that's uh, he, he's not yours. He's mine, and uh, you know a, a little argument like that. So uh, this continued on for uh, maybe a couple hours uh, before uh, you know uh, my my friend uh, is saying, uh, look. We're commanding you in Jesus' name to leave David. David obviously wants to trust in Jesus as his Savior. He needs to do that for his eternal salvation and for any peace of mind in this life right now and a sense of forgiveness. That's what he needs to do. And he has done it and tried to do that. Now, he's trying to leave you. You can't stop it. And I'm commanding you in Jesus' name, leave. You know, no, no, I'm not going to leave, you know, that type of thing. So, um, uh, but finally he just uh, I was sitting on the bo- bottom steps of the basement. he jumped over my head hmm. and ran out into into the streets of Wheaton and uh so now it's dead quiet, raining outside. Yeah, you know, we go up, call him back, David, just you, come on back. Well, he didn't. <laughs> so we went to his room and looked uh, looked around in the room and uh he had a chest of drawers where the first drawer had very neatly folded uh, robes you know silken robes the next one was full of very grisly looking masks the next one was filled with potions of various kinds and the bottom one was uh all magic books so we said hey oh and in the middle of this he walked back in he said uh hey guys what's going on like we're now back in touch with david and uh we said we said well david we've been having a pretty big struggle here tonight uh, um, and he says, oh, oh, okay. But well, why are you in my room? Uh, because we're just checking to see, uh, since you trusted Jesus as your Savior, do you know that you can't surround yourself with stuff like this and uh, and and grow in your walk with Christ? Did you really trust the Lord? Yeah, I did. You know that I did. I, we've already, the pastor can tell you, we burned my stuff. Out on the prairie path, we had a little bonfire, and we burned my stuff. So what's all this? This is what belongs to the group. If I destroyed this, they'd kill me. Mm. So we said, well, look, you, you don't want to be living with this in your bedroom. So let's get some boxes and pack it all up. You give us an address. We'll send it to them. And uh, that way it's out of your possession, but they're not mad at you because you destroyed it. How about that? Okay. You know? So that was that was that night. Uh, and by the way, he was followed up, I, and I checked up on him, you know, every week or so for about six weeks I was talking to him, and uh, and he was growing. So, you know, coming to the point where you understand, uh, uh, you know, is there some kind of a process of salvation where a person is not simply saved the moment they say, uh, save me, Jesus, uh, but they are in a process of coming to Christ? Uh, which they may have said, uh, Lord Jesus, I want you to save me. I know I'm a sinner, you know. So they said that. But actually, this is the Holy Spirit drawing them out of the kingdom of darkness and inserting them into the kingdom of light. That's what's going on, uh, just like Colossians uh, 1.12 says.
1: So you would, you would argue that, and I need a brief answer to this because I want to go to Scott, You'd argue that this was a case of possession, and the person was in the process of coming to the Lord, and it really was, it almost sounds like he was totally unaware of what had taken place earlier in the room that night. Yeah, Um, pretty
2: much, yeah. Yeah. So this was a a fight to stop him. In other words, uh, entities that had previously controlled him are trying to stop his movement into Christ or his progress in Christ. hmm. It's an active opposition. So, so that's what's
3: going
1: on. Interesting. So, Scott, let um, you know. Sometimes the discussion comes up. I'll ask you a theological question since you're in the theology department of a distinction between demonic influence and demonic possession. Which this particular illustration, you know, could perhaps engender that conversation in one way or another. Uh, What's your what's your take on kind of that space in this conversation? you're the New Testament expert, but I believe that the term
3: occasionally used is daimonizomai, which, uh, what, is a spirit presence, whether possession entirely or whether it is uh, an oppression from the outside. And so, I would want to say that once regenerated by the Holy Spirit, one cannot be possessed. But even Merrill Unger changed his mind on that idea, like Mike is saying there, Mm -hmm. as he wrote one book in 1960s, early 60s, and then another one 10 years later after he traveled the world. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I think there's mysteries there. But I like, you know, I think of Jesus healing the woman who was with that flow of blood bound by Satan, this daughter of Abraham, as he puts it, for 18 years. And I think, well, there's certainly then effects of demonic power over, it would seem, believers' lives when, particularly, we allow sin in, but not always for that reason. So, I see a kind of sliding scale. There's certainly utter possession. Uh, Mike, that's an interesting one you're talking about, uh, where where it seems like there still is a, a very real palpable presence in one who's now claiming to be a believer. But I, I take it as a sliding scale that when we come to Christ, then that becomes oppression, The Spirit Himself or itself no longer has controlling power, typically over the person now now regenerate. The Holy Spirit is there. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah.
3: Yeah,
2: uh, Go ahead. Demonic interference in your life. You know, and thank you for using that term, uh, 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 "demonitsemai," which usually now uh, we say in English uh, uh, "demonized" or "demonization." And demonization now refers to uh, everything from, uh, let's call it, the less dramatic and less serious or less profound uh, influence all the way over to very severe uh, consequences. And uh, uh, so, you know, people, ex- people are going to experience uh, satanic opposition at uh, a number of different levels.
1: Mm-hmm. So um, I'm, 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 we're eventually going to turn our attention, but we're probably going to do this in the second segment uh, to the way this operates uh, globally. Let, m- let me ask you one final question: We have time for in this go around, and Scott, I'll start with you. Um, uh, how do you? How do you? When you face the more overt forms of warfare, um, what what do you recommend? If you
3: if a person is uh, in the presence of what appears to be demon possession or strong spiritual presence, I, uh, particularly when it's immediate, uh, I, first of all, will want to ask, Lord, cleanse me with your blood. Make me a pure vessel of Your your power as sometimes confrontation is immediate. And I believe we've been given that authority by our Savior, but it's much wiser, if possible, to then meet with other believers, pray together. I think fasting is even helpful. Pray together and be prepared as you then go, as Mike and his Trinidadian friend, to confront a spirit. I I think a major step in this is commanding the spirit in Jesus' name under His authority to not hurt the person He's in, to speak the truth, because all spirits are lying spirits, obey the power of God. Now we don't have to have a conversation necessarily, but but uh, you're confronting a power that's beyond that person. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, and then then in the name of Christ, often you're often we are singing hymns or quoting scriptures that that are speaking of Christ's absolute authority and, and victory over Satan through the cross, yeah. but uh, then commanding the Spirit to leave. And sometimes there's more than one spirit. And sometimes they will, as Mike was saying, sink back into the person. And I remember in, in the case I was involved in, why are you doing this? Why am I here? I want to go home. And then you command the spirit again to speak, sometimes multiple spirits. And it's right back there. But then commanding that spirit in, in the authority of Christ to leave and never come back, hmm. uh it is amazing what happens. Hmm. Some spirits stay stay hidden; they don't want to come out either. But that people really are delivered is uh, is just astonishing. The power and the authority of Christ is, uh, as one put it, nothing will increase your faith like casting out a demon. Wow.
1: Well, I believe it or not, our time—at least for this go around—is up. We're go- we're going to do a second piece and uh, talk about the uh, kind of the global experience because the experiences that we talked about here are, are mostly uh, within our own context. Because I think that also opens up an aspect of this conversation that's worth mm-hmm. following. So. Uh, We thank you for being a part of the table today and hope you'll join us again soon. If you're interested in part two of this conversation, um, it's a part of what we're calling DTS Plus and the Table Plus, which is part of a subscription service that we have uh, for specialized topics and when we kind of take another step and dig a level deeper into the things that we discuss uh, in the general table podcast that we've been doing now for quite some time. So you're more than welcome to join us there on, on the Table Plus and on DTS Plus. In the meantime, we thank you for being a part of the table and we hope you'll join us again soon